You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. Hello, David. Hello, Will. And welcome back, everyone. I know it's been a while. Yes, it's been... Well, welcome back after the long break. It's... Man, where does the time go? (laughs) This is episode 18, part 2, number B, Human Evolution, the sequel. The the hominids return. Back to the miners. (laughs) Real quick, before we get started on our continued discussion, we took a very short break in between... Recording part one and part two. For snacks and where, refreshments. Yes, yeah, snacks, refreshments, bathroom breaks, trips outside for pooping. Yes, but both of us. David had a dog, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, I have I have to take the dog out. <laughs> Will's just by himself. I got a yard now. I can do whatever I want. He's one of those Floridians. <laughs> yes, yeah. Florida man. <laughs> Florida man poops in his yard. Florida man is not one of the species we'll be talking about. No. Thank goodness. Uh, in this episode of the podcast. During the break, we happened to visit Patreon, and one of the things that can happen to our patrons is that you get a shout-out on the podcast for subscribing at a certain level. Yeah. And wouldn't you know it, <laughs> we have a new <laughs> a new patron. In the time between us starting the first part and starting the second part, we noticed that we have a patron at a shout-out level. How things have changed since then. Oh, it's we're growing so fast. <laughs> Thank you to Michael for joining us as a patron on our Patreon. Your contribution is much appreciated, and you you are helping to contribute to the continuation of this podcast in a way that we much appreciate. Thanks, guy. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, pal. In the last episode, we discussed our place on the primate family tree. Indeed. The features that we have in common with other primates, the things that make us unique. We explored the origins of the hominin lineage. Mm -hmm. We talked at length about the famous Australopithecines. We had a whole discussion about the development of bipedality, Mm -hmm. walking on two legs in the weird way that humans do it. And we touched a little bit on what makes the hominin lineage so unique in terms of how much we have and and how so much data can get very confusing. Mm -hmm. Here, we pick up where we left off. This is going to be unlike a a normal episode. We're not going to do news now. Yes. Because we don't want to interrupt the flow. Yeah. If you're listening to this back-to-back, we're jumping right back in where we left off. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are going to put some special news at the end of the episode. Uh-huh. So stay tuned for that. It's a news sandwich. A news sandwich with content in the middle. So let's pick up where we left off. Around two, two and a half million years ago, mm-hmm. we are in a world that has Australopithecines, as we discussed last time. We're in a world with not only the standard Australopithecus and a handful of those species that that extended till the end of their run, but also the Paranthropus, Mm -hmm. the robust Australopithecines, the ones that were a lot like gorillas in their heavy, beefy jaws and faces. Doing their best. Doing their best. And then, 
around two, two and a half million years ago, we see the emergence of a new group on the hominin family tree, the genus Homo. Hey, that sounds familiar. Dum bum bum. Da 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 da. <laughs> that is more fitting now than it was the last time I, <laughs> I did that. So, the first species in the genus Homo is Homo habilis. Now, this is the part where I step aside and I pull aside any paleoanthropologist listening and I say, look, I know, <laughs> I know, we'll get to it. <laughs> Homo habilis is known, it starts off around two, two and a half million years ago. This is a much more modern looking hominin. Mm-hmm. Now we are getting much closer to what we see in modern humans. Specifically, continuation of the, right, up until this point, we've seen this continuation of the flatter face, smaller teeth, thicker enamel, taller skull, changes to the, bo- the, the, the body proportions. Homo habilis has, again, flat face, it's got a bit more of a forehead, which is something that I haven't mentioned up till this point, that humans have a forehead. Yes. Which is unusual, because mm-hmm. uh, our heads are so big. Designed to wear hats. Yes, that's what that's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. Homo habilis brain case is now up in the, in terms of volume, cubic centimeters, we are up in the 600s to 700s, which is twice as much as we, we were looking at with Ardipithecus. Mm-hmm. And a whopping half as much as what we see in modern humans. Getting there. Their brain structure, based on the internal mold in the skull, the brain is starting to to take on more familiar forms. Homo habilis also has long legs. Another feature more, you know, uh, more along the lines of human locomotion. But it still has long arms. Yeah. That's sort of, they're very other ape-like feature of having long arms. Homo habilis, there's a bunch of discussion about Homo habilis as to whether or not it is one species or two species. Some people split it into habilis and rudolfensis. Part of the reason for this is that together there are about 40 specimens Mm -hmm. of this or those species over at least five different countries. These remains are known from Tanzania, Kenya, Ethiopia, South Africa, and Malawi. And there's a lot of variation over time. These span about a million years of time. So as we discussed with taxonomy last time, we, we run into some issues with people unsure of exactly where should we split our names. Yeah, exactly. But the big new innovation that Homo habilis brings with it uh, has to do, in fact, with its name. Mm-hmm. Homo habilis is named the handyman. The handyman can. The handyman can. Who can take a chunk of rock and turn it into a spear (laughs) indeed homo habilis is famous for being the earliest member of the lineage that starts using tools and i say it's famous for being that despite the fact that it's probably not (laughs) so let's talk a little bit about tools yeah first and foremost what's a tool tools are generally you know whenever an an organism takes something out of its environment Mm mm-hmm to use for a, a function outside of its own bodily functions. Yes. So this is something very common in primates. There's a lot of monkeys that'll pick up rocks and smash open nuts with them. Chimpanzees very famously will pick up 
you know, twigs and things and stick them into holes to get termites Mm -hmm. and things like that. Those are tools. We also see them in other organisms, Mm -hmm. right? Birds use tools. Absolutely. I saw a video actually the other day of a buzzard, I think, using rocks to break open eggs. Oh, interesting. And then eat the yummy egg stuff on the inside. Yeah. And crows will use cars (laughs) to break open, like they'll drop seeds into intersections. Mm Mm-hmm. So when cars drive over them, they can get the, the stuff inside. And uh, my, my favorite is a video I saw of ones that had learned to use crosswalks specifically mm-hmm. so that they could go get the seeds on red lights. When the light changed? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's... So tool use, pretty common uh, throughout certain groups. Yeah, it's whenever you use something as an intermediate to do a job. Yes. Hominins are famous for using stone tools, Mm -hmm. but more specifically for intentionally shaping them. Yes. This is something chimps do, right? Chimps will pick up twigs and make specific twigs and turn them into specific shapes for specific functions. Yeah, strip them to make it a long stick instead of a branch. Yeah. However, hominins are the only place where we see them making stone tools in, in the sense of taking a stone, hitting it a bunch of times on other stones to get sharp flakes. Mm -hmm. And these flakes that have sharp edges are useful for all sorts of uses, all sorts Mm -hmm. of functions. Traditionally, right, the oldest stone tools, uh, we see stone tools in uh, places like the famous Old Dubai Gorge Mm -hmm. that go back as far as 2 million years. Which is exciting. Well, it makes perfect sense because we have early Homo back then living alongside Australopithecus. We also have stone tools going back as far as two and a half million years in Ethiopia, which is actually just a little bit earlier than we see the first Homo. Mm -hmm. But there are Australopithecines around. And then very recently, there was the discovery of bones with tool marks on them. Yes. So these are bones of, of bovids that have cut marks on them, like nice. the the meat was being cut. The same thing we see uh, on later human sites where we're butchering, mm-hmm. you know, cutting meat off animals. And these are at three and a half million years ago. Yeah. Which is way earlier than the genus Homo is known to show up, which suggests that the use of stone tools, if maybe perhaps not the making of stone tools, mm-hmm. but the use of stones for that purpose goes back to Australopithecus. Very interesting. But in general, uh, the earliest stone tools go through a a handful of different periods, a handful of different iterations. Mm -hmm. And the oldest technology, the oldest version of this is known as the Oldowan stone tools. Oldowan technology, in a sense. This is what we see overlapping with the occurrence of Homo habilis, as well as some of the late Australopithecines. These are simple flakes with sharp edges for cutting and slicing and skinning and you know all sorts of different purposes. Hammers for smashing things. We see the cores that they break the flakes off of. Yes. And we're starting to see here, and I, this was a new word that I learned, the term maniports. Oh. Which is to say objects that are unmodified but moved. Oh, okay. Something that was picked up and carried somewhere else for a specific for a purpose. job. Yeah. So very simple tools, you know, cutting meter or plants, smashing open seeds or whatever, 
Sharp tools are good for digging, right? These were all purpose tools. These weren't very specialized. Sort of like if you go emerge, you know, camping, it's like your emergency gear. Exactly. Like, you know, the, the shovel you have that is also an axe and also a saw and also a, yep. a hoe that you can use to do all the different jobs. Yeah. So it's one step above using twigs and sticks and things like that. And we will see the continued development of tool technology mm-hmm. as we move on. It's pretty cool. Homo habilis kicks off the the origins of the genus Homo, although, as we said last time, it's so archaic, so ancestral compared mm-hmm. to later humans that some have suggested that it may be, it should be grouped as Australopithecus, which would be a really interesting shift. Yeah. A bit of terminology here, by the way. A lot of people refer to everything in the genus Homo as human. Yes. That the genus Homo is humans as a group, which... I actually really like, so I'm going to do that. Yeah. Because it, it puts things into wonderful perspective. We, we are we're more inclusive a group than we typically think. Yes. After Homo habilis, the next major player to appear on the scene is the famous Homo erectus. Mm-hmm. Homo erectus shows up just under 2 million years ago, right? Overlaps it with the, with the, the latter part of Homo habilis's distribution. Homo erectus is famous for a few things. First of all, we're seeing, again, the continuation of that body transition. Mm -hmm. Homo erectus' head is bigger yet again, and we're going to see that volume, you know, 800s, 900s, breaking 1,000 eventually. The swift swelling continues, apply ice. (sighs) Yep, keep blowing up. Uh, Limb proportions are very similar to our own. They're also big-bodied, right? We we forget, I think, how big we are. Yeah. We are among the largest hominins, and Homo erectus was about human-sized, you know, that's uh, rather modern human-sized. Yeah, it's like we we think about other apes as being, you know, stronger than us, and so we often Mm -hmm. assume that that means that they're more impressive animals size-wise, but we're, we're... outweigh a lot of the the apes that yeah. are around today like we we forget that we are big animals we are very big yeah we we out that's there's a reason that you can pick up your dog so easily is we outweigh most <laughs> other large yeah. mammals that you're around uh that's why most things don't want to eat us because we're big <laughs> yes we are and homo erectus was big mm-hmm. it was about the size of modern humans they had long legs they had broad hips they were very modern yeah. They, you know, they, these were fully standing erect. They were probably walking, if not the same way that we walk, very similarly to the way that we walk. We are now just about fully modern human yeah. in terms very of morphology. Yes, very, very much so. Homo erectus has a very long lifespan. Shows up just under 2 million years ago. Uh, not an individual lifespan, but the species. Mm-hmm. And is around on for almost two million years. Nice. Over this, the course of this time, there's a lot more discussion about regional variation, different populations. Sometimes they're split. Sometimes you'll hear Homo ergaster used for parts of this population. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The first big thing, the first and probably the most famous thing that Homo erectus is known for, is that Homo erectus is the first hominin. I'm going to put a little asterisk next to that. By the way, mm-hmm. we'll get to that later. But for now, it's the first hominin known to leave Africa. Hey! Homo erectus is found in Asia, in China, and Java. In fact, Peking Man and Java Man are both Homo erectus. It's known from Europe, 
world domination has begun. Yeah, manifest destiny. <laughs> Homo erectus. Well, not not quite yet, but there is. <laughs> we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> Homo erectus spreads out of the home continent. All of hominin evolution up till this point has been taking place in Africa. Mm-hmm. We have now expanded outward. Homo erectus also is associated with the next step in tool use, which is uh, an iteration of tools called Acheulean. Bless you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize, everybody. We're back on track now. <clears throat> Acheulean tools, we're starting to see... Right, This is associated with, with more advanced butchery, things like that. The most famous of the Acheulean tools are called hand axes. Mm-hmm. And these are, basically, it's a teardrop-shaped chunk of rock, sharpened on the edges, Mm -hmm. that is useful for all those purposes we were talking about before, where it's a little... When I think of a hand axe, I think of it in, like, the D&D sense, where it's a small axe. You're thinking of, like, a hatchet, is what typically comes to mind. But these don't have a handle, it's just a... Still just a chunk of rock, but it has been sharpened to this teardrop shape that makes it much more efficient... Uh, a great multi-purpose tool. I was listening to an episode of Origin Stories recently where they were talking about tool use. Mm-hmm. And the person they were interviewing made the really interesting point that makes perfect sense, but I never thought about it, that the hand axes that we see during this time period are the same size as a cell phone. Oh, interesting. Which makes perfect sense. Yeah. Because they're meant to be Portable. You're yeah. meant to be able to hold it in one hand and use it, and you know, hold it in the palm of your hand. Absolutely. So it's made to be to fit. That's so that. That makes sense. That's really cool. Yeah, and it, it it puts it into perspective in a way I hadn't really thought about. So that's which uh, is really cool. Primitive life hack. Next time you're stuck without a personal hatchet to use, just use your cell phone. There you just just flake off the edges until it's really sharp. There you go. Multi-purpose tool. This is this is a really quick aside, but talking about this reminded me there's a YouTube channel called Primitive Technologies. Cool. And it's this guy. Don't know. He doesn't talk in the videos. It's all visual, so I don't. I mean, he could be <laughs> of any any cultural background or in any country. I have no clue. But he's out in the <laughs> woods and he goes through multiple primitive techniques of survival, and mostly has to do with. The shelters he builds, the tools he builds, building weapons, mm-hmm. building structures, you know, baskets, carpets, mats, sandals, so on and so forth. But he has a number of them on where he is making different stone tools with various techniques. He uses the chipping method, but there's also a method of making tools where you scrape them, you rub them, and basically file them down on another rock. Interesting. You know, you'll, you'll see lots of hand tools, especially Native Americans ones, where they have like handles that have been worn away in a stone. You know, it's not yeah. been chipped off, it's been rubbed away by another rock. Interesting. But he he goes through it and it's completely from scratch. You know, he'll make one tool to make a better tool. Yeah. And it's fascinating. So go look that up. But cool. he, he makes a hand axe and then eventually transitions it into a axe with a handle. And so you can see those processes. Yeah, the guy that they were talking to on that episode of Origin Stories is an archaeologist who makes yes. tools yeah. to understand how they were made. More on that later, because I'm going to bring that person up again. Yeah, it's, that's pretty cool. Speaking of wilderness survival, the other thing that shows up along with Homo erectus 
is the use of fire. Kind of important. Kind of important. So we have now mastered fire. By about a million years ago, we are pro- we are, that, that is probably when we're seeing this, this use of controlled fire, right? Because it, anybody can use fire. Mm-hmm. It, it's using it in a controlled and safe way yes. for a particular purpose. There's evidence that goes back as far as one and a half million years, possibly, for fire use. The earliest definite evidence that I've read about comes from a Homo erectus site in Israel that's about 800,000 years ago, where we're seeing, you know, fire associated with, you know, charcoal and such associated with burnt food and scorched tools. Mm -hmm. By 400,000 years ago, we're seeing hearths, so pits of charcoal surrounded by stone Mm -hmm. and associated with burnt foods and, and, and tools and stuff. Yeah. So, by, you know, between one million and half a million years ago, humans made this transition over to, we are now u- making fire pits, basically. Yes. These are ancient fire pits. Literal campfires from way back when. Yes. And fire has all sorts of great uses. Yeah. Fire is good for keeping warm. Mm-hmm. It's good for seeing in the dark. We're very visual species as primates. Yeah, it, it completely, it opens up every hour of the day for a potential activity. Yes. And there's also the fact that you can go explore places like caves. Mm -hmm. And possibly the biggest deal about controlled fire is that you can cook. Which, for anyone who eats, you know how big a deal (laughs) this is. (laughs) Well, it's it's interesting because I've I've heard discussions about cooking and what cooking does to food. Mm -hmm. And obviously it kills... In, you know, bacteria and stuff. Yes. And it, it can it can get rid of uh, nasty pathogens in food. It also makes it really easy to eat. Yeah, it starts that breaking down process and makes it easier to digest. It does. And when you look at other animals, other animals spend a ton of time chewing. Mm-hmm. Raw food is really hard to chew. Yeah, absolutely. And so we save all sorts of time and, and energy if the food is burnt beforehand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, early cooking doesn't have to be, you know, complex preparation. It's just the food's been held near fire. And apparently, wild animals will go for fire-cooked food preferentially. Oh, that's interesting. I, I've heard, this I think was also on Origin Stories, that, you know, after a forest fire or something, if there's burnt meat around, other animals will eat that. Makes sense. And if you try to feed animals cooked food, they prefer it. It's easier to eat. It's more nutritious, mm-hmm. right? You're getting more out of it for the energy you're putting into it. So cooking, real, being able to modify your food in that way is something that is really, really beneficial. And another thing, it's, it's, it's the reason you can keep leftovers long. Cooked food lasts longer because you've killed the stuff and you're making it less likely to rot. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, so that's, I, you know, I mean, that's why we more recent techniques, but, you know, curing meat and mm-hmm. cooking them in that way. But it's, you know, a cooked steak is not going to go bad as quickly as leaving a raw steak in your fridge. Yes, that is a very, very good point. So we're cooking with fire now. Mm-hmm. We got hand axes. Around the later portion of Homo erectus's reign on the planet, we see the emergence of another group of humans starting around 800,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. This is a very widespread group of humans that are sometimes called Homo heidelbergensis. And they show up in Africa, Asia, and Europe. 
Once again, very, very much like humans. We've got the continuation of the brain case expansion. Yeah. Uh, very much like modern humans, I should say. Skull shape is very much like modern humans. This is taxonomically a weird group because, again, they're very widespread, lots of variation. They're around for several hundred thousand years. Sometimes it's all called Homo heidelbergensis. Other times it's split into multiple species in different parts of the range. You'll hear Homo antecessor, Homo rhodesiensis. I think there's one or two others at least. And then other times it's just all grouped under the term archaic Homo sapiens. Oh. That it is us before us. Yeah. Right? Almost there, but not quite. Heidelbergensis is in Africa, Asia, and Europe again, taking over, not taking over because it overlaps with Homo erectus for quite some time, but in the same space. Here we start to see the more technological advancements. Mm -hmm. So Homo heidelbergensis is building shelters. Yeah. We see the first wooden spears by around 400 or 500,000 years ago. Cool. So we've made advanced weaponry, which is really something. Along with this, perhaps not coincidentally, there's also more evidence here of advanced hunting, mm -hmm. evidenced by the fact that the humans are, uh, of this group are eating large animals. Yeah. So there's more evidence of right associations of bones of big animal species that would require more advanced hunting techniques mm -hmm. to be taken down. Starting to move up the food chain. Yes, and that probably goes hand in hand with cooperation mm -hmm. and you know one human with a spear might is probably not taking down a giant animal necessarily by itself although i guess they could be yeah i mean it, there's the potential but it, it's you know lots of things can factor into this if you're making better weapons that are more efficient if you're gaining a little intelligence you might be able to plan your hunt better mm -hmm. and if you have a shelter to bring it back to that might be more yeah. convenient than when you're constantly living nomadically you know, you would have to eat the rhino or whatever it was where it fell if you don't yes. have a home to bring it back to. Well, and, and all these things come together in that sense. So now you've killed this giant animal with your crazy spear weapons. Mm -hmm. You have little hand axes so you can carve off chunks of meat, mm -hmm. take them back to the shelter, cook them by the fire. Mm -hmm. like this, is, this is complex stuff. This is like the first 10 minutes of Minecraft yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. We're punching trees, we're making spears, mm -hmm. build a little hovel. It's especially interesting because, you know, as you said, when we started talking about this, that all of these groups can be referred to as humans, mm -hmm. but it's, it's very odd to think of the concept that, you know, there were tribes of other species than us. Yeah. You know, but isn't actually the same. Not quite. Which is really, really interesting. It goes back to that, that slight uncanny valley of, like, where are the differences? <laughs> yeah, and and honestly, these would probably have been recognizable as people. Mm -hmm. Like, if you saw them out, at, you know, in the, in the in an un, a non-civilized part of the world, mm -hmm. you know, hunting rhinos and, and such and, and making little shelters, they probably wouldn't have looked all that out of place. Yeah. And then, around, so Heidelbergensis is around until almost 100,000 years ago. Homo erectus is around until around 300,000 years ago. And around that time, we see the first evidence of a little species called Homo sapiens. Hello. Genetics data 
the same sort of molecular clock data we discussed last time, puts the origin of Homo sapiens usually 200,000 years ago, maybe a little earlier, maybe a little less. Recently, there was some new fossils discovered from Morocco that appear to be Homo sapiens from as far back as 300,000 years yep. ago. And we talked about that on a recent episode in, in one of our news sections. So Homo sapiens has shown up by around 300,000 years ago. Exactly where we came from is the subject of a big debate. Yes. The origins of Homo sapiens is, in fact, one of probably the largest and longest running debates in human evolution. There are traditionally two thoughts on the subject. There is what's called the out-of-Africa hypothesis, mm -hmm. or the scientific way that I think they call the recent African origin. Mm -hmm. And that is, right, so this is a time where you have archaic humans, Homo heidelbergensis, whatever other species are, are, are within that, spread all across Africa, Asia, up into Europe, all this variation across all this wide range. The out-of-Africa hypothesis is that Homo sapiens proper evolved in one population in Africa and then gradually spread and overtook the ranges of a lot of these other yes. archaic humans, right? That's your manifest destiny, mm -hmm. right? That's it. spreading out and, and, and taking over for everybody else. The other suggestion is called the multi-regional hypothesis. And this is the idea that the features we associate with Homo sapiens today showed up in different places at different times around this range. Mm -hmm. And because all these populations and all these places were still closely related and likely interbreeding with each other, yeah. gradually all these features spread throughout this range until the full range of, of this area had all the features we would associate with Homo sapiens. Yeah. So that the whole, that this wide range of, of, of populations gradually shifted into modern homo yeah, sapiens. the group de developed together instead of from one point. Yes. As is always the case, whenever you have a big argument like this, it's because there's good evidence on both sides. Yes. And, and so it's very difficult to tease out. There are some who have started suggesting it sounds like that the correct answer, once again, as is so often the case, might lie somewhere in between. Yeah. That perhaps Homo sapiens kicked off in one place, in one population, and then, I guess, finalized? Like, gathered more traits through interbreeding as it spread throughout other parts of the world. Yeah and accumulated all the traits that we identify as being Homo sapiens traits today. Yeah. So this is that, that sort of intermediate where they had one origin, but then they also were ass assimilating traits from elsewhere. Yeah. It's an interesting subject because it's, as you said, both answers have support. Both make sense. Yeah. And so it's really hard to pin it down. And both have very different implications for what was happening back then. If we yeah. evolved in one place and then took over the ranges of other hominins and humans and competition, it's a, mm -hmm. that's a very different origin. That's a very different process than if those traits were slowly gathered and developed through 
breeding and yes. you know a, a kind of just joint development and evolution. Yeah, we learn a lot about evolutionary processes mm-hmm. by studying the history of, of human evolution, which is very cool. Yes. So we finally have Homo sapiens. Just like before, however, and this is something I didn't, you know, I, I, we mentioned it with the Australopithecines, how you can see from the first ones at around 4 million to the last ones around 2 to 2 to 1.5, the traits continue to develop. Mm-hmm. We also see that within species. Yeah. So earliest Homo erectus is more archaic looking than later Homo erectus, which is more modern looking. Same thing with Homo sapiens. The earliest Homo sapiens are clearly Homo sapiens. Well, eventually they're clearly Homo sapiens, but there's still this continuation of becoming more and more like modern humans over the 200,000 years of their fossil record. Yeah. Those features include our just enormous alien craniums. Yeah. Our big baby heads. Yeah. The average Homo sapiens brain is around 1,300 cubic centimeters in volume. Recall that Ardipithecus, when we started, was uh, just over 300. That's a lot more room. Our brains are, our our heads and our brains are huge. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the average human head weighs about 10 pounds. Oh yeah, like it's, it's ridiculously heavy. Yeah, that's how much my cat weighs. Yeah, which makes our necks (laughs) really impressive. Sure does. Our heads are not only big, but they're also tall and narrow. We have foreheads, which is unusual. We have chins, which are unique. Yeah. That is a Homo sapiens-specific thing. We've got other... There are other details of, of the way that we stand and other features of our bodies. Overall, what, what sets Homo sapiens aside from other hominins and other Homo species is that we're tall and we're lightly built. We're not stocky and we're not beefy like a lot of other species have been up till this point. Yeah, we're lanky. We are. We're lanky, and we 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 evolved within these tropical environments, and we got this you know this this lanky, airy build. Mm-hmm. Homo sapiens also shows evidence of feeding on wide ranges of prey: mm-hmm. large animals, small animals, fish, shellfish. Homo sapiens eventually begins to develop a wider range of tools. So we're seeing a, another continuing continuing advancement of tools, blades and knives. Homo sapiens is using a lot of bone and ivory for tools as well as stone. Yeah. And Homo sapiens is well known for using composite tools. Which is awesome. That is tools with multiple materials. Right, so going back to our hatchets, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a wooden shaft, a stone head, and whatever you use to stick it together. Yeah, you know, vines or or fibers from plants, or yeah, you know, leather strips. Yeah, and it's getting into the, like this is where we are complex, you know, truly complex tools start coming in, where you're putting not just modifying a thing, but you're putting thing, combining things. Yeah. Which is cool. And it it's interesting because it really isn't that big of a jump Mm-mm. from going from smashing rocks together to get edges to shaping them specifically for certain kinds of edges mm-hmm. to combining them with other things. It's a pretty logical progression, and we see it laid out here in the fossil record. 
It's it's really just you're increasing the amount of prep time. You know, yes. Instead of just, I'm going to use this rock to smash to, I'm going to break this part of this rock off to do this job. And then mm -hmm. you eventually get to, I'm going to modify this rock and this stick to make yes. something that can do me do whatever job I need it to. And indeed, uh, a technique that shows up over the tenure of Homo sapiens is what's called the Lavalois technique, which involves essentially retouching tools. So modifying mm -hmm. a, a stone into a certain shape so that it can then be modified further. Mm -hmm. And basically multiple steps of the modification process. Yeah. Which allows you to make tools that are more specific, more refined, and more detailed and more specialized. Yes. Right? Not just the one tool fits all use. Now you've got tools that are specific to certain functions. And it's really, it's it's like when I was talking about the primitive technologies guys, he'll often make a tool to make a better tool. You know, he'll make a, a simple version yeah. to get started that will then allow him to make a better version of either the same tool or a slightly more specific one, which is cool. Like the, the fact that you can yeah. see that in our ancestors as well is really neat. Once again, it's a lot like Minecraft. Yes. You have to collect stone to make a furnace so that you can make iron to get more stuff. I guess I'm thinking of mods. Yeah. That might not be. Anyway. Yeah, no, but you. No, that's you right. Get, that's right. Yeah. In, in vanilla Minecraft, you have to right? Make, you, burn the... you have to make wooden pickaxe to break rocks to get to ore to make a iron yes. pickaxe. Then you get the iron pickaxe to be able to get in to eventually make a diamond pickaxe and so on and so forth, which is very comparable yep. to modern technology of, you know, we, we could never discover computation until we had electricity. <laughs> which we yep, couldn't yeah, discover it, until we yeah. knew how to manipulate metal. Yes. And so on. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a very... It, we've been doing this process ever since, just at increasingly faster and faster rates, which is... Indeed we have. Very cool. So Homo sapiens is finally on the scene. Homo sapiens has spread from Africa, Asia, and Europe, and Homo sapiens will continue to develop, as is evidenced by the existence of this podcast. Yep. Still going at it. But... Yeah, we're still doing it. We're still we're making awesome stuff. You talking about it spreading immediately made me think of the Matrix like a disease. It well, <laughs> human race is a virus. Uh, that's <laughs> another episode. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's that is yes. <laughs> but one of the most fascinating things that that always blows my mind is that Homo sapiens did not exist alone. Yes. In this range. Yes. Homo sapiens, much like the humans of Middle-earth, mm -hmm. were one of several groups of humans existing on the planet at the same time. Yeah. One of the most recent, in fact, possibly the most recent, discovered is, and you've seen in the news and we've talked about it on the podcast, I think, uh, Homo naledi. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just recently discovered a few years ago in South Africa, recently dated to around 300,000 years. This was a really weird species of, of, of hominin because it's got a lot of features, especially in like the legs and feet, that are really advanced hominin features, things you see in, in ourselves. But on the other hand, it had a small head and small brain. Yep. It had hands and shoulders that were very much like other apes. 
they are very strange. Research on this species is going to go on forever and ever because they've got about 2,000 specimens they've pulled out of this cave so far. Yeah. Representing something going on 20 individuals. Really, really spectacular, mysterious creature from way down in, in the southern end of Africa. And also possibly associated with tools. Mm-hmm. So this is right around the time that Homo sapiens showed up. We had Homo naledi in South Africa. There's also Homo floresiensis. Yeah. The, they call it the Hobbit, and I don't like that. It, yeah. I can't ex- fully explain why. I just don't like it as a nickname. It's, I mean, it's, I get why, but it definitely is drawing attention away from why they're cool. Yeah. They are small. Mm-hmm. So this is a species of Homo found exclusively on the island of Flores in Indonesia. They're about three and a half feet tall. They've got tiny brains and some other less Homo-like features, but again, associated with tool use. Mm -hmm. They're known as far back as about 100,000 years, but there's evidence that they may have originated far earlier than that. Mm -hmm. That's another one. Lived alongside up until... At 50,000, I've seen I've seen younger ages as well for how long they lasted. So they were living alongside Homo sapiens for quite some time. And then, most famously, there is the species Homo neanderthalensis. Yeah. The Neanderthals. Neanderthals are known in Europe and Asia. They go back as far as 400,000 years, so they showed up around the same time that we did, maybe a little earlier. You know, in, in movies and stuff, we always Neanderthals are always depicted as these brutish, yeah, primitive cave people. I was about to to mention that you know it it, it is an insult to yeah. call someone a Neanderthal. You know, you hear especially in like old high schooler movies, someone will just call the football player, "Oh, you Neanderthal." Yeah, 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 troglodyte. Yeah, you big, strong, <laughs> brutish, stupid human. Yeah, which is a mischaracterization. Big time. By all accounts, Neanderthals were simply another group of humans. Mm-hmm. They were different from us, right? So they were beefy. That was that's the big thing. They were like football players. Yeah, they were they were, they were more robust. Short, beefy, wide bodies, shorter limbs. And these are generally thought to be adaptations for living farther north mm-hmm. where it's colder, more insulation. This more compact body, right? Your your limbs aren't as long, so you don't lose as much heat. They have a low skull. They've got the big brow ridge. There's a bunch of other features in the teeth and in the skull that you that that help to distinguish them. Neanderthals, far from being stupid, had a brain size of around. You ready? Yep. Fourteen hundred cubic centimeters. Hey, wait a minute. That that's a big Neanderthal brain cases were generally larger than Homo sapiens brain cases. You calling us stupid? Yeah. (laughs) Specifically you. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that does not necessarily mean they were smarter. Brain size does not necessarily equate to intelligence. Also, it's been pointed out that for their robust body size proportionately their brain size is comparable to Homo yeah. sapiens and perhaps a little smaller in proportion. I talk about that on the, the dolphin cruises, that dolphins' brains outweigh ours, but mm-hmm. they also outweigh us. So when you yes, take it into body weight, our brain is still bigger proportionally. Yes. But a dolphin, you know, dolphins are bigger 
so they have a bigger brain, and they are also smart. Yeah. Neanderthals, regardless of intelligence, are doing a lot of the same things mm-hmm. as human, as Homo sapiens. Using a lot of the same tools, they are associated with hearths for fire, they're associated with that's the same advanced retouching techniques of their tools. Yeah. There is extensive evidence that Neanderthals and humans were spending lots of time together. Yes. Possibly sharing... Right, It's been suggested that Neanderthals may have copied tools from Homo sapiens. Mm-hmm. It is 100% true that Neanderthals and Homo sapiens were interbreeding. Yes. And indeed, if you go to your genetic... If you go to... what I did 23andMe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for the genetic testing. Yeah. And you, they'll tell you how much Neanderthal is in you. Absolutely. I think I had... Oh, what did I have? It was somewhere between 1% and 2%, I think. Mm-hmm. Neanderthal. Yeah, it's not going to be a, a huge percentage, but that there will be some there. Yeah, and this ties into that multi-regionality thing we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Sapiens was going around interbreeding with different populations as it encountered them and acquiring bits of DNA that have come together to make what we see in all humans today. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of Neanderthal in all of us from this history of interbreeding. I would love if this was the origin to all of the sci-fi and fantasy settings where humans are able to interbreed with every other race, just making yeah, babies, all the other aliens, all the other, all over the place. And this, this is if this was the origin to that idea, would make me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> we've been going around the universe. Yeah, we've been doing it since the beginning of our species. Hey, you look kind of like me. Want to make a baby? Let's make babies. There's another group hey, back Bumble. then. <laughs> <laughs> There's another group that exists around the same time, The perhaps the most mysterious of hominins, the Denisovans. Mm-hmm. They lived in Siberia. The Denisovan fossil record consists of three teeth and a pinky bone. <laughs> they are known exclusively otherwise from DNA. Yeah. Completely sequenced DNA that shows that they are distinct from Neanderthals and Homo sapiens. Interesting. A separate species, or at least a separate population. They're not named yet because you can't name it off of just DNA by modern taxonomic standards. As far as we... They were interbreeding with humans. They were interbreeding with Neanderthals. We have no other evidence of their existence, but we know they were out there. Interesting. So for the last couple hundred thousand years... Homo sapiens shared the world with the Flores population in Indonesia, with Neanderthals up north, with Denisovans in Siberia, and who knows what other populations there may have been. Which is fascinating to me. And you you made the absolutely perfect comparison of Middle Earth. Mm -hmm. Because we, we nowadays are so used to seeing ourselves as separate from the environment you know that we are this weird outlier and yes we have different cultures and yes we have you know what we would call different races Mm -hmm. but and i don't remember what what study it was but i know recently there was a like vast global genetic study that showed that there's not enough difference to really even mention the 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 racial differences between humans like we are yeah race is a very debated Exactly. term in, in terms of its usefulness. And so we, we are significantly one species mm-hmm. separate from all other animals and the fact that we built cities and tools and machines and 
electronics yeah. and clothes and all these weird things. So it is mind-blowing to me to think that there was a decent stretch of time yeah, where we shared the planet and all of these skills with others that looked a lot like us, but definitely different than us. You know, significantly yeah. different. In fact, most of our history has been spent like that. Exactly. Longer than we've had recorded human history. We way, were, oh yeah, way, way longer. We were sharing with these other races, which is... It's like we were so close to having a a Middle Earth style world where there were the the Neanderthals up north and the yeah know, the Flores Island nations and like crazy <laughs> stuff like that. We, uh, it's it's one of my favorite things about human history is that we yes. for a time we did have a multiple species world of of intelligent races. Yeah, but alas. By the end of the Pleistocene, all the others had disappeared. Uh, Floresiensis, Neanderthals uh, are gone by 20, 30,000 years, mm -hmm. 40,000. The Denisovans, who knows? Yep. They're, yeah, they disappeared somewhere. Maybe they're still out there. They're, they're, they're hiding. The Yeti. Unse yes, they're there Yetis. you go. There you go. <laughs> Following that, Homo sapiens, of course, makes a whole lot more advancements, right? There is... Uh, burial is known by at least 70,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's known in Neanderthals as well, I believe. Art, we are cave painting by 30,000 years ago. Yeah. And then by 10 to 20,000 years ago, there is evidence of Homo sapiens engaging in sculpting, engraving, drawing, stenciling, basically all the major forms of art yeah. we ha have figured out by 10, 20,000 years ago. Around that time, 10 to 20,000 years ago, we are also seeing tools are, are expanding into things like needles and fish hooks and harpoons and snowshoes and bows and arrows. Yeah. And it's starting to get crazy. Uh, we, by the way, we make it to the Americas by about 13,000 years at least. Mm -hmm. Agriculture kicks in at about 10,000, which is a big step. Big, right? We're, now we're domesticating plants and animals. Now we are staying in one place. Exactly. Growing our food, uh, which means that we don't have to move anymore. It means we everything we need, we can stay in one place. So we're not building shelters, we're building homes. Yeah, we can invest more in building a more permanent structure. Yup. Writing exists by around 5,000 years ago. And then there's more complex structures, there's societies, there's the Bronze Age, the Iron Age, and then New Horizons takes really cool pictures of Pluto. <laughs> uh, and, and we have advanced immensely. It's really, really cool. And it, it's this subject, and we said this a bit at the beginning, this subject is fascinating because not only is there a lot of information, because it's recent... We preserve well. Mm -hmm. Once we start burying each other, <laughs> that's yeah, is really good. <laughs> that definitely helps. A really good way to find <laughs> leftovers. Um, but it's also it's the only part of paleontology that is truly personal. Yeah, this is our story. Uh, literally, persons. It's literally peoples. Yeah, and so it is our origin, and we can see some fascinating things the fact that we weren't you know that that homo sapien wasn't when tools appeared 
Yes. Is very eye-opening. You know, that was that was something, going back to Jane Goodall from last episode, that was a point she made because we were, we were denoted as the tool user. Yes. And that was, that was one of the things that semi-officially, kind of unofficially, but was what denoted humans from the other apes. Yeah. Tool use. That's what sets us apart. And then she went and watched them and said, okay, so are we going to start calling them humans now? Otherwise, we need to change <laughs> yeah. the definition. Well, and that's something that has really come out of, you know, the more we learn about other animals, mm-hmm. the more we find, and it, to use Darwin's words, our, our buddy Charles Darwin, who said that the differences between our species are differences of degree, not differences of kind. Yes. Yes. We have technology. We're not the only ones. Mm-hmm. We have music. It's more complex than everybody else, but we're not the only ones that sing. Absolutely. We have complex societies, but so so do other animals, just not quite as complex. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of things like that that we haven't touched on in these in this this these episodes because we don't know much about them, right? When did social structures show up? Yeah, like we have today. When did language? We don't know when language showed up. Yeah, absolutely. Because it doesn't fossilize. Yeah. Clothes can also fall in that category of... Yep. When did we start wearing skins or leaves or... Yeah. And as as far as language goes, I did hear... And this was something... Also, that episode of Origin Stories was pointed out that some people have suggested that language may have, if not been associated with, perhaps have been required for the advancement of tools. Yeah. And this one archaeologist in that episode was talking about how, you know, he teaches his students how to make these stone tools, and he was struck by just how much explanation is needed. Yeah, you know, you can only mime so much. Yeah. And so that there, it's been argued that, right, because not every human in existence is not figuring out how to make spears independently. Mm Mm-hmm. We're taught. That's one of the things that Homo sapiens is exceptionally good at is teaching yeah. other other individuals how to do things. And to do that, you need language. We're one of those special animals that is born with very few instincts. Yeah, I, we, we pick up a lot culturally. Yeah, you know, it's us, the other great apes, mm-hmm. dolphins, and a few other animals, but not many have to be taught just about all their survival techniques, which is cool because that's where you start getting cultural stuff, but it also means that you can get crossovers and unique things. You know, humans, hominids in one country versus another can come up with different solutions to the same. Yes. So that's, it's, you start getting interesting stuff. That's actually a point that I I neglected to mention. I I pointed out when we were talking about Australopithecus that they had fast growth and short childhoods. Yes. Other hominins that we overlapped with, like Neanderthals, for example, had extended childhoods, Mm -hmm. as far as we know, that they were slow growing, which is to say bringing each other up and probably learning along the way. Yeah, if if you're not born with instincts, if if you aren't able to you know, hit the ground running like literally most other mammals do, <laughs> then you need a lot longer time to become independent if you have to learn. The more you have to learn, the more time you need to learn it. 
Yeah. I think it's a little misleading to say that we're born without instincts. And it's that I mean, that's, we definitely have a lot. We do. It's just you know, for example, we don't we're not taught how to walk. Yeah. Like we know how to walk. We're just born before we're physically capable of doing it. Yeah, we that's very true. But that developmental time is used to learn all the stuff that isn't instinctual. Yeah. Like you know, I think a lot of the things we do are not instinctual. How to use tools, how to speak a language to to a degree, right? How to speak English, for example. Yeah. Those are not instinctual well, features. And we definitely have the instinct to learn. Like, you know, babies yes. mimic. Babies actively mimic. You know, which walking could be one of those things we're mimicking. There, there's three things I know that babies are instincts that I know we're born with for sure that are really interesting to me. Because one, mm-hmm. this connects us with the other apes of to grab. Babies are born with that grip. Yeah. Which comes from holding on to moms as they climb around the trees. Yeah. Uh, we can't do that anymore because we're wimpy. Yes, we are. Babies know to suckle and cry and those kind of things. You know, the, the survival mm-hmm. things. But this is my favorite. A baby knows how to hold its breath underwater. Yes. And that's actually, I believe, a common mammal thing. Which is cool. Of being able to survive in water, which makes tons of sense. Yeah. Like, if you live on Earth, you need to be able to figure out what to do when you're submerged in water. Yeah, because water's pretty deadly if you are if you don't have gills. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually a really good opportunity to mention the aquatic ape hypothesis. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that. Just long enough to say, stop bringing up the aquatic ape hypothesis. Yep, yep. It's one of those ideas that, that hinges on this romantic notion that we can explain all the features that are unique to, some, to, to our species with one convenient explanation mm-hmm. that isn't supported by the evidence whatsoever. No, it was, it was, it was a food for thought kind of thing. Like it was presented. Yeah, it, it was interesting. interesting to think about. Yeah. Does, but it doesn't uh, need to go further than that. We don't need to make any more <laughs> mermaid documentaries about it. <laughs> we can talk more about that if, if listeners w- would like to. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but that's all it's getting for now. Yes. <laughs> uh, there's also a lot of studies and, and then there's all sorts of other things that, that come up that we don't know from the fossil record, parts of our psychology, our behavior. There's all sorts of investigations into when did certain, right? Like social structure. Yeah. Like, you know, we are, we are not sexually dimorphic Mm -hmm. as I mentioned before, which indicates that we are, you know, at some point we transition from competing for mates to not so much. Mm Mm-hmm. Where we're not physically competing for mates anymore. We're we're living in perhaps more stable social groups that have a different structure than what we see in other apes. Yeah, where we see mating, you know, groups or pairs or you know, yeah. dynamics other than competition. Yes. There's also some really fascinating studies that are try try to go into the origins of things like there were there was a a great TED talk by Franz de Waal about the origins of morality. Yeah, yeah. Where he looked at how other primates exhibit things like the ability to cooperate, mm-hmm. to, to work on a task. The best part of that talk was when he looked to see if other primates had a sense of fairness. Yes, which is really cool. And it was the capuchins experiment mm-hmm. where they train these capuchins, these monkeys, to put a, you know, they put a token in a box and they get a, a piece of fruit or veggie. Mm-hmm. And traditionally, it was a cucumber. Yeah. And apparently, capuchins are cool with cucumbers. Yeah, it's fine. Well, then they did this experiment where they had two capuchins in enclosures next to each other with glass in the middle so they can see each other. 
and one of the capuchins goes up and he puts the tool the thing in the, the box and he gets a grape. And apparently capuchins think grapes are the bee's knees compared to cucumbers because capuchins have good taste. Because they are, yes. Because, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Something else we inherited from our primate ancestors, perhaps, <laughs> is good taste in fruits and veggies. <laughs> so the second capuchin sees this and loo- runs over, puts a thing in a box, and then the, the feeders would give the second capuchin a cucumber. And there's this incredible <laughs> video of the second capuchin <laughs> getting the cucumber and throwing it back at the feeder. Yep. Because they understand this idea of fair treatment. Yeah. And so there's all these wonderful studies into psychology trying to figure out how far back in in, in our evolutionary history do certain cognitive skills go? When might they have shown up along the hominin line in association with tool use, with sedentary behavior, with mate competition changes, and and who knows what else? It's It's really interesting stuff because... Like you said, there's a lot of things that don't fossilize, and before we started writing things down, weren't recorded. Yeah. So did we start having laws? You know, were there tribal laws? Yeah. In these early hominids and you know early humans, you know, at, at what point did we start having a social structure that was pretty recognizable, if just not written down? Yep. Lots of unanswered questions. It's really cool. It's uh, it, it it's it's one of those things where there's so many options for how things might have been going back then. How much of it was recognizable and how much of it was alien is really an interesting thing since it's our history. Yes, this is a topic that, like we've said over and over, constant new information is coming up. Absolutely. Always, always advancing. We're learning new things all the time. And on that note... Let's talk about some news. Absolutely. Dear listeners, a special news segment for the end of this episode where we have selected specifically recent news about hominins. Thought it was fitting. Yes, so we're going to talk we're going to finish our overview of hominin evolution by pointing out some news that might show that we were totally wrong about the things that we said. <laughs> and in fact, I should have made this disclaimer early on, but it is 100% possible <laughs> that there are things that we've said in this episode that have shifted away from the consensus or are not the consensus yeah. or are still heavily debated. That are now out of date. It is 100% possible. We record these episodes a week before their release. <laughs> it is absolutely possible that a discovery could be made and announced in the week between a recording and our uploading that will change part of this discussion we've had. It's, yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> it, it's a fast-moving field, and there's so many, you know, li- little things that can get, you know, seemingly discovered and confirmed, and then very quickly realized to be less sure. Yes. So, what we've discussed in this episode is a lot of what is known very well, or debated very much, built on lots and lots of great evidence. Mm -hmm. But we're always learning more. We're always building upon that. So, Will. Yeah. What's in the news? So, my my first thing happens to do with our Neanderthals and their tooth hygiene, specifically Uh the plaque on their teeth. Interesting. Yeah. So, there was a, a study that was looking at fossilized plaque on Neanderthal teeth 
and seeing what it could tell us about their diets, their microbiome of their body, you know, the, the microbes living in their mouth, mm-hmm. and even some potential medical uses for materials and plants in their environment. Interesting. So this is a study in Nature by Laura S. Weirich et al., and mm-hmm. they were studying Neanderthals from El Cidrone, or Cidrone, I'm not positive how you, but it's a cave in northern Spain. Cool. And they did a DNA analysis of the hardened tooth plaque. And so the, the gunk and the teeth Absolutely. from their food. The stuff that's left over on your teeth that you go to the dentist to get cleaned off. Yeah. They found some cool things. So one of the easiest things, one of the, the most obvious things that comes from this, not so much easiest, is telling you what they ate. Right. You know, it's it's very much like doing the isotope analysis of the surface of teeth that has been done with other fossil animals. Right. You know, plaque is going to be changed by your diet. And they found some neat stuff. They ate, you know, a wide variety of things. They were able to compare it with other Neanderthals who a similar analysis has been done on and found that these uh, Neanderthals in Belgium were eating more rhino while hmm. their Neanderthals were foraging for plants more often. Interesting. So seeing a different in diet by region. Both ate mushrooms, evidently. Hmm. So we've we've been chowing on mushrooms for a long, long time. Interesting. So cool stuff there. Now there is some questioning of how sure sure the plaque analysis is. I know there's there's a couple of scientists that are not completely comfortable with the answers that it gives, but right, this right. data leans that way. Yes, we're presenting data as presented. You make of it what you will exactly. and more information to come. Now, the next two are the ones that I think are particularly cool. The first one is the medical things, like I mentioned. There's some evidence mm-hmm. that they were using local plants that have medicinal qualities, potentially for medicinal purposes. Hmm. The two they mentioned was poplar trees. They found DNA from those, which contains cyclic acid, mm-hmm. which is used in aspirin. Oh, interesting. So they were maybe chewing on it for pain relief Pain or relief, and they also found penicillin mold. Oh. The origin of penicillin. Yep. And they're thinking that they might have been using this for, you know, digestive issues, you know, stomach ache sort of stuff, but also... They found, you know, lesions or sores on the teeth that they might have been using the for pain relief to right, get right, rid of right. a toothache. Interesting. So the the origins of medicinal yeah applications perhaps. And the final one, which is particularly interesting. Uh, so you mentioned that we absolutely are sure that we were interbreeding with Neanderthals, Homo yes. sapiens and Homo neanderthalensis were crossing paths in the night. Yes. This one gives a little information on that. So they found a microbe in the plaque that we find in our mouths today. Hmm. Now, most of the microbes in there were, were very rare th- right. in our mouths today. And if this, you know, it, with this discovery, it perhaps is evidence for the fact that we were trading saliva and not just genes which would be evidence for kissing. <laughs> <laughs> which is an in- 
It's definitely a side. You know, that's definitely a. I'm sure there are other answers for that, but it is an interesting thing. It, it considering that we don't know why we kiss today, so it'd be interesting yeah. to find out when did we start kissing. That was an interesting thing because I read this article, and they say you know evidence for kissing or perhaps mm-hmm. sharing of food, right? Either either one is a very yeah, intimate absolutely. interaction that 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 could facilitate this bacterium yeah. jumping between our species. And I remember seeing it, and it was like, oh, evidence for kissing. And my immediate thought was, all right, well, that's yeah, that's silly. Like that, you know, you're 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 really grasping at straws here. But then I was, and maybe they, yeah. or, you know, it might be silly. But then my second thought was, we don't know anything about the history of kissing oh. as an intimate contact. We have no idea yeah, have when no that clue started. Why we do it? Either. Like, what's the purpose? You know, what would be the origin of that? Because we don't see it in other animals. Yeah, I don't even know if all modern cultures I don't, do that. I, I know that it is widespread. I don't know Yeah. If you know how universal it is. I was just thinking the same thing is you know, I know that there like I'm pretty sure there are cultures that don't really have it as a thing. I think so, yeah. It's a weird yeah. thing to do. It's it exactly when you really think weird. about it, it's a very odd thing. And as teenagers we I spend would, a lot of time I doing wonder, it. I would wonder I would wonder if that so Humans, uh, parents, cover your children's ears for this Mm -hmm. portion of the podcast. Another thing that is a side effect of our unique anatomy is that humans can have sex face-to-face. Yes. Which is something that other species generally don't do. I wonder if that... Was a result. ...is associated with Mm -hmm. the origins of kissing in that it's, well, all right, now my face is in your face while we're doing the the, do. Doing the do. Might as well do something, yeah. Interesting. I'm sure there's been research on this that Absolutely. I have not read about. So now I'm I'm wildly speculating in ways that I'm sure more professional people. Well, because this is getting done. into you know a couple of things where it's you're getting into behavior, which is hard to discern, and you're getting yep. into social behaviors that we still have mm-hmm. that we don't fully understand. Yes, because exactly. your, your note on the, the the sexual position thing. There's a lot of that that is nowadays religiously pushed. There's a reason it's called missionary. Yes. <laughs> it's because it was pushed yeah. by missionaries as the godly way to reproduce. You know, yeah, so yeah, which yeah. Came, went, you know which came first, sort of thing. Did someone decide at one point that that was the proper way to do it because they watched dogs having sex and went, "Well, I don't want to look like that." <laughs> or did we transition to it because we started walking upright? Yeah. Well, I remember talking to our friend Ethan from episode seven about how there is it, it, the, the, our hip yes. structure has changed uh, in, in a way that has also apparently modif- uh, led to seemingly mo- led to modifications mm-hmm. in genitalia, mm-hmm. which is another big difference between humans and other primates in that human males have particularly impressive yes. genitals. Uh, compared to things like chimps and gorillas, whose equipment is surprisingly small given I'd, their body I'd size. I my poop too, so I understand them. <laughs> but I remember Ethan mentioning that this possibly has to do with the fact that I get it might be that the female anatomy has shifted because of the mm-hmm. the, the modified hip structure, such that it's more difficult to access. Mm-hmm. And so having a longer access port <laughs> is more uh, 
efficient. We're talking yeah, about so, penises and so vaginas. People. For all this of is you a science people, podcast. I'm just I'm just trying so to be all, poetic. All of you people who had an awkward first time, it's not your fault. It's evolution. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So yet more things that we just don't know the. I'm glad we to got to the yet. subject because I used to I I used to think about this a decent amount when you were like 13. Yeah, like 14. just 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 whenever I'm not doing anything. Uh, <laughs> 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 anyone here who has seen the Walking with series? They're yep. some of my favorite documentaries. They're beautiful. The Walking with Dinosaurs and Walking with Prehistoric Beasts, which handles the ages after the dinosaurs and at the end deals mm-hmm. with our ancestors. They have a scene with Australopithecus talking about them being upright, and in the documentary suggest that because of their new upright gait, they need to have, or it is easier to have, sex face-to-face. And right. they're showing a mating moment, and they actually have to blur it out, because now it's too much like human sex. That's so weird. Right? It was very odd. It, it, and that's what drew my attention to it so much. But then since then, I've had moments of like, does it, though? I don't know. Th- I don't hmm. know that that's necessarily true. Yeah. And the Kama Sutra backs me up. <laughs> There's all sorts like, of options. I don't think that's <laughs> necessarily our correct answer. It, yeah. That just may be an answer we decided was correct at some point. And it's one of those things where that's something that we we may never get to answer, unless a sandstorm blew through during the act. <gasps> yeah, we need to find like the Laetoli Pompeii. I, that's what I was about to say. I'm like. You know, no one, no one was getting busy during Pompeii. Come on, <laughs> honest. I mean, I'm if I remember correctly, there is there is preservation of sexual activity in Pompeii. Mm-hmm. It might be a person by themselves, though. <laughs> I don't quote me on yeah. that, but I feel like I've heard in that, that situation. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, that volcano's going well. off. I've got about got about thirty seconds. <laughs> I got time. All right, moving on. I'm glad we got to because I I had a moment earlier. Where I was like, I want to talk about these things, but I don't know where to fit it in. <laughs> That's the problem. Our ancestors. <laughs> See. All right. Moving on from hominin sex. <laughs> so going way back in time, uh, we talked about how we're uncertain of the origins of our hominin lineage. Yes. And we're uncertain of the origins of some of the earlier features. Mm-hmm. So this is referencing a paper from earlier this year by Gerard Gerlinski et al. A paper through the Proceedings of the Geologists Association describing footprints on the Greek island of Trachylos that appear to be bipedal hominin footprints. And they look a lot like... Right, the, the the toes are all in the same position. They're walking on their soles. There's no claws, which is a very hot. You know, we have nails instead of claws here in our hominin family tree. Mm-hmm. So, and there's two distinct sets. So it looks like, according to these authors, bipedal hominin prints, which is really really interesting because these footprints date to almost six million years ago. Nice. Which, if you'll recall our discussion throughout this episode, is earlier than Artipithecus was around. And Artipithecus isn't necessarily known to have been definitively bipedal. Yeah. So if these are correct, and there's lots of question surrounding it, Mm -hmm. but if this is correct, then this is perhaps evidence of 
hominins achieving bipedality earlier, which might suggest, really what it suggests is a more complex trajectory. Mm-hmm. That perhaps bipedality was produced, you know, generated in one lineage and lost in some of the side lineages, or maybe that Ardipithecus is a different branch and isn't directly ancestral to us, or that perhaps bipedality originated multiple times, or that these guys are wrong, which is also a distinct possibility. Lots of questions, lots of potentials. Yeah, and of course, people have pointed out that it could be that it's an earlier hominin who can just bend their toes in a way that it happens to look like more modern hominin footprints without actually being more modern morphology. That the foot thumb can just come in or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's hard to tell things from footprints. Footprints are really tough. See, I'd take those. You could wear shoes and still have hand feet. I'd like that. There you go. See, just just a little bit. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, The other reason that this is interesting is because it's hominins in Europe. Yes. Once again, if true, fitting well with the Grecopithecus that we mentioned earlier, suggested hominin as early in Europe as early as about 7 million years ago. So there are mysteries abound at the origins of the hominin lineage. It's very interesting when you find something like that, because there's there's so many options for what's going on, and if it finds out that it is an erect hominid that far back and over there, it can really rewrite a lot of what the the history was seeming yeah. to show. Well, and also, like we've mentioned, the be, the first members of any clade have cousins. Yeah. And those cousins could just as easily develop similar features. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me if bipedality showed up multiple times. Well, and it, that's that's something that's it's an interesting thing to think about that doesn't typically get presented, but it's very possible that already had a cousin who learned to walk upright better or more regularly or more often mm-hmm. and then went extinct. Yeah. And then later on, bipedality showed up later in, in you know, our descendants or something. Like, just because yeah. they learned to walk doesn't mean they're going to survive. Yeah, absolutely. It's so. really, really weird. Once again, it's not a line. Yes, exactly. It's a tree, a tree of features. So my next one is dealing with one of the ones we, we've mentioned. It's the the Floris hominids, our little little short cousins. Yes, the dwarf, the island dwarf hominins yeah. from Floris. And there's been lots of questions about them. You know, why they're small is also still a, a mystery. Mm-hmm. The the most obvious first answer is that it's insular dwarfism, as we mentioned in right. our islands episode. Episode four. Yes. That's a fun. They could be small because they're in a smaller place and they are dealing with less, you know, food and there's no large predators. Right. It could be that they have some pathology, you know, that there's something weird going on in this situation. Like Yeah. That was an, the the I think the possibly the original idea, and it was very yeah. popular for a while that they weren't even a different species, mm-hmm. that they were just a group, you know, a human or a couple of humans with a severe genetic disorder. Yeah, that were actually dwarves. Yeah, I don't know how popular that is. Yeah, it, that one seems unlikely to me, but the the definite you know answer is still uh, as of this news article still yes yes exactly being discussed. 
but it's got a lot of things. Uh, one of the things this one was looking at, though, is whether or not they were actually within Homo erectus and that they may have descended from the earlier Homo habilis. Right. So the traditional idea with Floresiensis is that they perhaps much like ourselves mm-hmm. are thought to be direct descent, you know, eventual descendants of Homo erectus, that they broke off of Homo erectus in Asia mm-hmm. and evolved this dwarf population on Floris. And what this, what there has been other suggestions for is that instead of evolving from erectus, they actually evolved from habilis. Interesting. Much earlier. Much earlier. And what the study is looking at is the features of the fossils to do a much more in-depth analysis. Now, there's there's uh, not a lot of material from Florenziensis, but they used basically everything they had, and they looked at 133 data points from the skull, nice. leg, arm, shoulder, and shoulder bones, as well as the teeth, mm-hmm. and compared them with Erectus and Habilis and uh, other modern hominids and, uh, and later hominids to figure out who they were more likely related to. And according to theirs, they specifically their jaw and pelvis, yes, are significantly different from erectus. Interesting. Which means that if they aren't there, that they were a sister species of Homo habilis, and those two likely shared a common ancestor according to what their statistical analysis brought up. Interesting. And that would be, that would push them farther back Mm -hmm. in the tree, which would suggest that they are yet more distantly related from us. It also raises the question of if, right, because Homo erectus, if they're descended from Homo erectus, it makes perfect sense that they're in Asia because Homo erectus had spread to Asia. Mm -hmm. But if they are not part of Homo erectus or that group and that lineage, then it raises the question of when did Floresiensis ancestors yeah. make it to Indonesia? And so they they positive possible uh, answers for some of that were saying that their ancestor was in Asia, but probably went extinct when Homo erectus came in. Interesting. And they ended and restricted up restricted them to the island. Yes, and then they lasted there up until about the time. Homo sapiens, you know, started to move around and right, right, right. getting into Asia. And so slightly different history for them, if that's the case. Interesting. It's a very mysterious species. We don't know we don't know much about yeah. the Flores hominins at all. Which is it, uh, it and I'm sure that's part of the reason why they've gotten so much attention other than being called hobbits, is that Yeah. They they match what we would call a halfling. Yep. But then also that's all we really know about them is that they were yeah. tiny. So gets focused. That on. would that would explain some because one of the things people have pointed out is that they have these archaic features. Yeah. That are more like earlier hominins, and that 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 either is a reversion for some reason, mm-hmm. or perhaps it, as these people are suggesting, it's just something they inherited from splitting off earlier in the Homo lineage. Yeah, exactly. Which would be answer a lot and be very interesting. It is, in fact, that's really interesting when you consider, because if they're right, who is this, by the way? Who did this study? This was uh, in the Journal of Human Evolution, Debbie Argue. This is really fascinating because if you'll recall earlier, if so they're, they're suggesting that it 
evolved alongside Homo habilis mm -hmm. as a descendant or sister to Homo habilis. And we mentioned earlier that some people aren't even sure that Homo habilis belongs in Homo, mm -hmm. that perhaps it should be Australopithecus, which taxonomically is really interesting because <laughs> if both of those things are correct, then what the heck does that make Homo floresiensis? Yep. <laughs> and now you guys Very see interesting. why things get complicated pretty fast. Yeah, so now it's all, yeah, see, it's a big, taxonomy's a big mess. It's still us in episode 10. It, this is like <laughs> we when you're about. making a house of cards, but then someone says, that <laughs> card should really be on this level. <laughs> <sighs> so a final bit of news going back to molecular studies. An international team published a, a study in PNAS recently. A team that includes Meve Leakey, by the way, hey. who is follows in, in family history of Lewis and Mary Leakey, who are two of the most famous paleoanthropologists ever. Very cool. This team is looking at basically a, a different way to track molecular evolution through the hominin lineage. <gasps> so, usually when we're talking about molecular studies, we're looking at DNA. Yep. And... DNA is only good back to maybe a million years. Yep. So we have DNA from Neanderthals. We have it from Homo sapiens, which is great. But this study is suggesting that there is a protein that we should be able to track even farther back. So they, t they looked at a sugar chain, a type of protein that's called a glycan, mm -hmm. that exists on the surface of cells, specifically... It, it has a name, but its name is a, is a collection of letters and numbers, as is often the case. Yep. It's NEU5GC, <laughs> henceforth referred to as this glycan. <laughs> it's produced by most mammals, including other apes, but humans do not produce it. At some point, uh, estimated around two or three million years ago, a mutation occurred that inactivated this protein. Possibly, and this is a whole interesting other story, because it became a target for malaria to attach to cells. Oh, weird. So, <laughs> but in any case, that shift caused a change in the cell structure of hominins. And what this team has found is that this glycan can become incorporated into bones to form a particular compound, and that compound sticks around in the fossil record. So it's a, a signature of this protein that gets left in the bones. Yeah. And Very they cool. were able to detect it in chimps, and they were able to detect it in mice. But in humans, all you get is traces of it. Like minor traces of it, which they think is probably coming from the meat that we eat. Yeah, yeah. Now, we're not producing it ourselves. We're picking it up when we eat other meat. Uh, and they actually... They actually uh, attempted to support that by engineering mice who don't produce the protein and then <laughs> feeding them food that does have the protein and seeing if it shows up in the bones that way, and it does. Interesting. So the compound left over from this protein shows up in your bones if you produce it yourself or in minor traces if you're eating meat. And they were able to find this this compound in bones that were 50,000 years old and 4 million years old in other mammals. Nice. Which suggests that they should be able to search ancient hominin bones 
for this compound. And it should be able to show not only when this mutation occurred, when that protein was lost in the hominin lineage, which would have all sorts of great implications because that could tell you, right, if, if one species of Australopithecus doesn't have it and a contemporaneous species still has it, that can tell you which one of those is our ancestor. Yeah. This one lost it, and that's the one we're closer related to, which is really cool. And they're, they're presuming that what we would find is a bunch of hominins that have it, a bunch of hominins after that that have lost it, and then later hominins that have it in trace amounts because they started eating lots of meat. Nice. That would be very cool. So they could pot potentially trace all sorts of information about our r relationships, our molecular evolution, and even perhaps our diet by yeah. looking at this protein. Oh, that's really, really interesting. That's I love stuff like that because that's such a such a particular thing that opens a lot of potential doors. Yeah, so that's that'll be really interesting to watch as that progresses. Nice. Um, it's especially useful. I should have mentioned this, but it's especially useful in Africa because ancient DNA Africa African environments are hot and humid. Yep, which is bad for the preservation of DNA. Yep. So this is this will hopefully be a, a alternative molecular source of evidence. Yeah, very cool. The field of human evolution is advancing all the time. Mm -hmm. New discoveries, new techniques. I think actually a couple of weeks ago, the Homo naledi team went back to the cave for more excavation. Oh, uh, cool. So that should be coming out more soon. There's all sorts of great stuff happening. We had to, I mean, we, we sifted through lists to, to get these particular news stories. There's mm -hmm. human evolution news constantly. Absolutely. It's, it's a very, very rich field. Lots of different things we can analyze. Having the ability to study the modern extant species in such detail yeah. completely changes how we study the past ones. And so this really is a, it's a very rich subject and a very fascinating one. It is. Big thanks to Mac for making the suggestion. Mac got double what he bargained for. Yeah, two episodes in for the price of <laughs> suggesting this. Thank you very much for listening. If you've stuck with us through both episodes, we hope that you've enjoyed this extended discussion. Yeah. We appreciate your listenership as always. Yeah. Don't uh, we will probably not do this all the time. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. But we'll see. Hey, maybe if people like this this setup, maybe we'll do this more. Yeah. There's plenty of other episodes that we could talk about more than once. <laughs> yes, indeed. And in fact, like I said before, uh, one last shout out to Origin Stories, the podcast produced by the Leaky Foundation. If you want to hear more in ways we are not capable of presenting this information go check them out they do a great job otherwise please follow us find us comment question make your suggestions for what episode topics you want to hear about on facebook on twitter you can join us on patreon you can email us at common descent podcast at gmail.com leave reviews on itunes or podbean any way that you can find to get in touch with us. 
We take listener suggestions for episode topics all the time. Please send in your suggestions if you have them. As is always the case, we will put a blog post up on the interweb where we will put all sorts of extra information and pictures and links to the, the, the wonderful sources of information that we mined for this episode. Do recall that we release episodes every fortnight. Usually one at a time. Usually one at a time. <laughs> yes. Usually one episode at a time. Sometimes we're crazy. <laughs> Keep an eye out in a week for all, probably a single episode <laughs> of whatever our next topic is. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this foray into human history. Hope you Hope you know yourselves a little bit better now. Yeah, 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 a little insight into your history. Next we next time on Time of Descent, we talk about something. We talk about cooler animals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's pick something with scales or something. Oh please, claws at least. Jeez. I mean, if if we're gonna talk about something on this this general subject again, at least do one of the ones that still has toes on their thumbs on their feet. <laughs> <laughs> something with hand feet. Hand Come feet on, or, hand or feet. get out can't believe we got rid of those <laughs> just a waste good day good night good evening good job goodbye everybody toodles see you next time thanks for listening to the common descent podcast for more from us, you can follow us on the Common Descent Podcast Twitter account, Facebook page, or on our WordPress blog, where we post additional cool stuff for each episode. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome. You can find this and other video game remix music at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you next time.